Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. It's October 18th, 2021, and today is a day that has been long anticipated uh, by people not just in Brunswick, not just in the state of Georgia, not just even in the United States, but around the world, as people have been watching how um, the American jurisprudence system deals with uh, crimes against African Americans. Uh, The trial of of the uh, three men accused of murdering Ahmaud Arbery begins with jury selection today, what's expected to be a long and laborious selection process. The court has called 1,000 people to come to jury duty today, which is, I think, roughly one in every 85 people living in Glen County because they expect that it could be very difficult to impanel a jury, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, that in a few minutes. Um, let me get to the panel, and we're going to spend some time <clears throat> excuse me, talking, of course, about the Arbery case uh, today. It's Monday, which means that Jim Galloway, former uh, political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us. Jim, thank you so much for being with us on a very important day in Georgia. Yeah, this, I'm happy to be here. Uh, it's I, I don't think there's another case that's in, 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 in my 40 years in newspaper that is more emblematic of uh, of 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 the, the the fight for criminal justice reform here. Yeah, um, thank you for making that that clear uh, to all of us today. Margaret Coker is with us. She, of course, is the editor in chief of the Current, the nonprofit newspaper based out of Savannah. Margaret, you have been uh, spending time in Brunswick over the past few days in, in anticipation of the trial. You're there. Uh, this morning, and uh, you've been doing your story so far. We've just really, really gotten a lot out of them. So thank you so much for being with us today. You you told me right before we went on the air, you've already been over to the courthouse. Or it isn't at the courthouse. The, the, the jury selection is taking place at another venue because there's so many people involved, right? Yeah, there's approximately 600 people who have been called up here this, this first week. And because of COVID restrictions, social distancing, and the sheer size, the jury's being sequestered at the county sports complex where the soccer uh, fields are. And so it's going to be a laborious process um, to weed through um, all of these all of these county residents to find people who can adjudicate fairly and without bias. Um, well, we're very grateful that you could spend some time with us on what's going to be a very busy day for you. I think also a busy day for Adam Van Brimmer. You know him as a familiar voice on this show as the um, editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News. But, Adam, you've stepped in as interim executive editor of the paper, uh, which means you've been very busy as you await a uh, the uh, uh, arrival of a new editor of the newspaper. So thank you for being here today. My pleasure, Bill. It's a bit of a battlefield promotion, I guess you would say, and I can say that I'm ready to hand my rifle over when our new <laughs> our new executive editor arrives November the first. But it certainly it's it's an exciting time or, or it's an interesting time to be to be in this position with the Arbery trial going on. And of course you get up here around Savannah, you go across the river, there's also a, a big trial around the, the Murdaws, which is right across the river from us and it's yeah, just keeping track of, of the court proceedings is, is adventurous enough around here these yeah. days. 
Well, again, thank you for being with us. And Stanley Dunlap is back with us today, a reporter for the Georgia Recorder. Uh, Stanley, um, thank you for being here uh, again on this uh, very important day. Are you going to be writing about the trial? Yeah, definitely. We're actually going to have a staff meeting following uh, this panel discussion. And once political rewind is over with, and we'll kind of go over the details, but we'll definitely be having coverage. Um, starting with the jury selection and then what we expect to be pot- potentially a month long, a longer process that'll play out for the uh, trial end. So, yeah, I'll be, be covering it just as we have kind of ever since this took off uh, a little over a year and a half ago. Um, all right. Well, let's get going then. Um, Margaret, I want to start with something you uh, wrote in one of your pieces. You You talked to the mayor of Brunswick, Cornell Harvey. And you have a quote that I think is a good starting point for us. He said to you, we live in Hurricane Alley, so we make preparations for natural disasters on an annual basis. But we are planning for something now that we've never experienced. This court case is going to affect everyone in our community. We've become part of Georgia and America's dialogue about justice. That's about as good a thesis statement for this trial as I can think of. Yes, um, Mayor Harvey is is a pretty eloquent speaker when it comes to the needs and the emotions of his community. Um, For your listeners who aren't familiar with coastal Georgia, Brunswick is a majority black town and it is about 18,000 people. It is surrounded by a majority white county, Glen County, um, and altogether there's about 80,000 people in this area. And so, um, as uh, you might imagine, there's more wealth that lives in the county, um, white, uh, um, upper middle class and and rich folk, um, as compared to Brunswick, which has a poverty rate of about 27%. And so, it is a place where the county government has more uh, power traditionally than than city does, um, because that's where the money is. And so this case is, is just a, an entire you know, web of everything that um, as a region here in this corner of South Georgia, you know, that, that um, so many people in, in, in society have been experiencing for decades. It is racial relations, it's socioeconomic issues, and um, overall it is about who, who the police favor, um, who, they, who, who they police better, and how the community sees each other. Um, as equal citizens or not. Um, Jim Galloway, um, the Washington Post, uh, quoted uh, Lee Merritt in an article this morning, uh, Lee Merritt being an attorney for uh, Arbery's family. Um, And here's what he said. He said, a lot of the things that we want to see change have already begun to change. And we'll talk in a few minutes about Georgia law being changed as a Mm -hmm. result of the Arbery uh, case, among other things. Uh, But then he said this. This is going to be a litmus test about Glynn County itself because the jury pool, the finder of fact, is going to be from that community where this incident happened. And he said, we're going to be confronting racism in the South head on. And he distinguishes that in a way from, say, um, the trial of Derek Chauvin, which, of course, also had race as its uh, root. But, But to merit, this is a really specific look at racism in the South. Right, right, and this is—I mean, I, I mean, it's 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 kind of a, a theme that runs throughout, throughout the 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 uh, uh, from from the moment that uh, Ar- Arbery was shot in, in February 2020. I mean, it took uh, what uh, almost uh, two months 
uh, to to bring charges. Uh, we, uh, we are now on the fourth prosecutor, uh, the DA from from Cobb County, uh, and and uh, in in one facet, just look uh, taking uh, absorbing the numbers that Margaret has, has given us. I'm I'm just wondering why why it wasn't shifted uh, that the trial wasn't moved uh, closer up uh, closer up to uh, Metro Atlanta where it would. Uh, you you might be able to find somebody who was untouched by the by the by the coverage, and uh, that's going to be the hard part. Uh, and 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 the, you know, the the hurdle, I would I would caution everyone not to expect anything anything quick in in the, in this process. Uh, jury selection we know is going to take at least two weeks, uh, and. Remember, you have to have a unanimous verdict one way or the other, and it's very, very possible that you could get in 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 a, in a climate like this that you could get one hold holdout on one side or the other that would send the the the, the whole process into mistrial, and so we'd have to go through it again. Yeah, um, Stanley, uh, at least one of the lawyers uh, for uh, the three uh, defendants. Um, Gregory and Travis McMichael and William Roddy Bryan has already said he has no expectation they'll ever be able to impanel a jury down there because uh, there's been so much attention to this case and and there are such divided lines over how people feel about it, Stanley. Now, that's one lawyer. That's a lawyer for the defense. Um, I just bring that up because it is interesting to contemplate, Stanley. Yeah, certainly. And I think uh, as high profile as this has been, that there's not anyone in Brunswick, unless they just had their head in the sand for over a year, that isn't aware of this case. Um, and probably, at least in, in certain terms, doesn't even already have an opinion of whether they think uh, the McMichaels and you know uh, Bryant or Bryant are guilty, or if they think that um, they're not guilty. And so it's going to be really tough when they go through that. And that's why you see such a large jury pool. And I guess in this case, while they're Trying to find someone, they're they're trying to find the least biased, or maybe the, in the case of you're a prosecutor or a defense attorney, you actually may be trying to find people that you think will actually do maybe lean a little bit more in your favor. But 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 certainly, uh, this is certainly an interesting case, and I, I thought Jim put it pretty well when he said this is the in his 40 years, this is kind of the largest case dealing with race. Um, in Georgia's history, or at least in, in his time covering Georgia politics and, and crime. So I, I thought that was a certainly interesting perspective, and we'll sort of see how this process plays out with the jury selection and how long it takes to actually get a jury set. Adam? Yeah, I would I would agree with, with my colleagues in terms of this trial really has the, the tone of a, a racial reckoning for Glen County and for Brunswick in that area. Uh, certainly when you when you spend some time down there, you, you come to understand exactly what, what Margaret was talking about earlier about the, the, the differences between the county and the city. And of course, it's something that we deal with up the coast here in Savannah as well. It's, it's very familiar uh, here as well in terms of, of how that is all set up. But I think it'll be very interesting in terms of this jury to also, you got to keep in mind the fact that Georgia has repealed the citizen's arrest law, right? But at the same time, it was it was law in the books when this happened. So how that plays into into this is, is going to be interesting. I, we've talked in our newsroom a lot about why didn't we see a plea a plea out, you know, pleading us down and and avoiding trial. And I think it all comes back to that: is the the defendants have attorneys that think that 
that they can argue is a self-defense and citizen's arrest was was on the books at the time and it's like you said it's going to be a while before we get to the to the meat of this trial but it's certainly going to be something to really watch and, and really watch how the the racial component of it breaks down Margaret, um, Jim Galloway talked about the length of time between the the event itself, the, the shooting of Ahmad Arbery, and charges finally being brought. Arbery was um, confronted by the McMichaels and Roddy Bryan on February 23rd, 2020, killed in that incident. And it was, in fact, more than two months. It was 73 days before any charges were brought. Um You've written extensively now. Um, you've looked. You, you at the current have been conducted an investigation and written about um, some of the factors that came to light as a result: corruption in the uh, uh, police department down there. Um, the DA Jackie Johnson initially on the trial, or, or, or initially who would have handled this case, um, decided to uh, let it go because of her relationship professional relationship with Gregory McMichael. <clears throat> so it's not unusual for a murder trial to take 20 months to come to trial after uh, the incident itself. But that 73-day period before anyone was charged really exposed a lot in terms of how justice has not been litigated uh, down there in Glynn County. Yeah, you know, um Part of the current mission has been to revive public service journalism um, in coastal Georgia. And so we took it on as a investigative project this year to just try to figure out with data, you know, how this failure of law and order and public safety um, could have happened um, that resulted in one man losing his life. And looking through police records and court documents and all sorts of government communications, what we found is a pattern, a troubling pattern of a lack of accountability over uh, an entire decade here in Glen County. And it's an, it's a question of public safety agencies not having um, enough oversight and not having um, enough, I don't know, um, gumption or from from the district attorney's office to to take a look at what's going on with policing standards and procedures. So, you know, over the course of a decade, there have been uh, numerous suspicious um, deaths, um, police involved shootings, people who have been killed in police custody, but also a string of lawsuits where where citizens here of the county have um, accused the, the, the police force of racial profiling of wrongful deaths. And again, let me just um, make clear for people around the state. In Glen County, there is a police force that polices the county, and there's a separate police force that polices Brunswick City. And so the two jurisdictions, um, they share emergency services like 911 and ambulance, EMS, but they do have two different um, police departments. It was the Glen County Police Department that responded to the Arbery um, killing. They responded to a 911 call from um, the residents uh, who, who considered Arbery to be a burglary suspect, and they're now on trial for murder. But at, within that 73 days of who is in charge of the investigation, this is still a question that, that is, is very, very murky. Um, five months before Arbery was killed, a grand jury was impaneled here in Glen County to investigate the then police chief, his former chief of staff, and two senior officers. 
And so for the five months leading up to Arbery's killing, there was an enormous amount of acrimony building between the district attorney's office and the police department. Um, the week after Arbery was killed, when Jackie Johnson, the then DA, recused herself from this case, they also, the grand jury brought down filed indictments against the police chief and those three other senior officials. And so there was a police department in with a leadership vacuum in disarray. And the court case that's going to start today is going to talk about the day of the killing. It's going to talk about the 73 days before there was an arrest made. And so, you know, we as journalists here in coastal Georgia are also asking the, the question, you know, who is responsible for overseeing the police and who, who is responsible for the investigation from the start. Um, so, uh, Adam, I, I was fascinated by a New York Times story uh, that looked at this trial um, in, 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 uh, in the context of two other uh, high, very high-profile American trials in recent years. Of course, the most recent one being the Derek Chauvin trial, where, where video shows uh, very clearly, and the jury bought it uh, uh, completely, uh, that Derek Chauvin, a white police officer, uh, killed uh, George Floyd uh, because of the hold that he placed on, on him um, as he was making an arrest. So that's one example of you know what, what a jury decided was an action that probably was based in many ways on, on race. And then they also said, but, but is, it, is it more like Derek Chauvin or is it more like uh, the George Zimmerman case? In that case, of course, George Zimmerman killed Trayvon Martin. And, and the, the question in that case had to do with whether he was making a legal citizen's arrest of someone who he thought was a perpetrator of a crime. And I think it's fascinating to look at this trial in that context, because to some extent, I'm assuming that those are the terms that are going to be fought by both the defense and the prosecution. Yes, and that's why this video is, is so important to this case. I mean, it, let's be honest here. If we didn't have this video, I don't think we'd be having this trial because, you know, the witnesses the witnesses to the crime are the ones that committed the crime. And of course, they their initial report to the police was that they saw uh, Arbery going through a, a house under construction, and there had been a bunch of, or they, they allegedly there had been a bunch of break-ins and other things in the neighborhood, and they were just doing their duty. And then when you watch the video, you see that he was accosted, and there was a little bit of a wrestling for the gun, and the gun goes off. So if there's no video there, it, it's a pretty plausible story in terms of the self-defense. But the video really changes everything. So in terms of, of those two trials, I think your reference to the Chauvin trial, that's, you know, that's really what is going to uh, uh, resonate with the jury one way or the other and determine how this, how this thing goes. Uh, hey, uh, Stanley, just same question for you. I mean, what's, uh, uh, does this reek of Derek Chauvin or, or George Zimmerman to you? Also, also, Margaret, after, after Stanley, if, if we could get you on, on, on just – how that video came to light, because that's a story in itself. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you said it well, that it's probably a, a combination of of both and that, like, without the video, um, the case probably either wouldn't, wouldn't have gone to trial or it would have been a much bigger haul to kind of prove that it wasn't somehow uh, them following the letter of the law, um, even though, you know, if you just probably look at the reports, it's a lot of questionable um, 
questionable about the merits of that argument. But yeah, I, I think that it's going to be the defense is going to argue in the, the light of Zimmerman that you know that they were afraid they were following the law, they were attempting to detain him, and at that moment it was a scuffle and it was self-defense. And whereas we'll see the prosecutors kind of go in the light of the George Floyd case, which was let the let the video show what exactly why this wasn't the case of them self-defense. And so I think that'll be key, which one wins that side of the argument and is it able to, to uh, you know, sway the jury um, for their, for their on their position. Margaret? Yeah, the, the video um, was uh, released to the public um, on May 5th. So that's the 73 um, days since the killing. And it is, um, the video was sent to a local uh, Brunswick radio station. And uh, that um, the motivations for releasing the video are, are, are again, I think still um, still up, up in question. The, it was Roddy Bryan, William Roddy Bryan's lawyer, who decided to release the video. There was pressure growing in the community because of a lack of arrest. And again, it was COVID. And in Brunswick, that meant everybody was home. And so people were paying attention to this, right? You had a grapevine going on about information. Um, in the Black community here, There's everybody has a one or two degree separation from the extended Arbery family. And so over the course of 70 days, while the family was trying to figure out what in the heck happened to their son, um, they were reaching out to groups like the NAACP. They were trying to get some attention paid to the story, and they had been told by the police that um, their son was involved in a burglary and was killed. So pressure was growing um, through the Black community and the statewide Black community to try and find answers to what had happened. Um, Mr. Bryan's lawyer released the video to a local radio station, and I think I mean, I don't, I, I don't know the motivation, but it's believed, I think that, that the suspects believe that when that video was shown, their defense of self-defense would become more widely acknowledged and understood. I mean, remember, the police had that video the day of the killing. The police reviewed the video the day of the killing, and they didn't make an arrest. That video was uh, known to at least two different district attorneys. Uh, and those two district attorneys recused themselves, but they also didn't see a crime that had been committed there. And so I, from, from the defendant's point of view, I think um, the video is, is evidence of, of their intention, which was we had to save ourselves from a threat um, for the black community in Brunswick. And then I think around the country, it became a video that was, that was seen as the impunity of, of white neighbors who were afraid of a black person that they didn't know running through their neighborhood. Um, um, you know, the impunity of, of them to be able to make a private person's arrest or detain someone that they thought was a threat. Yeah, and then let, let's add, um, Bill, let's add that, 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 that Arbery was unarmed, nor was he carrying any stolen items. He was, he was, he, he was, he was in, in gym shorts and, 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 and a shirt. Um, but, you know, Jim, another way that, 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 that the uh, trial, the contrasts are going to be uh, made clear to the extent that the judge allows the defense to uh, use some of this and the prosecution as well, um, the, uh, number on, on one side of it, the prosecutors are uh, asking the judge to allow into evidence a uh, license, a front of car license plate 
uh, that uh, uh, of the old the old flag, the old Georgia state flag, which which they uh, will use to show that uh, Travis McMichael, who had it on his car, um, it had some has racial 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 animus is is not unusual uh, to him. Uh, we also have a statement from Roddy Bryan, who uh, told investigators that um, that he heard Travis McMichael. Uh, make a racial epithet as he stood over the body um, of Ahmad Arbery as he was dying. So there's that side of it, a, an attempt to use to make sure race is a part of this trial. On the other side of this, you've got the defense, which wants to introduce evidence of behavior by Ahmad Arbery that, um, number one, he had mental issues, that he carried a gun into a school at one point, um, the, the sort of evidence that would suggest reasons that white people are often afraid of black people, Jim. Right, right. And so far, the, so far, the defense has lost each one of those arguments. Uh, yes. Uh, and you know, I mean, because and, and the license plate it, is still to be ruled on. Right, right. But the but the mental health issue has been. I mean, for instance, I, I mean, the judge basically said, you know, that's something that the defendants had no knowledge of. At the time of the right. incident, so so you can't you can't allow them to to say they base their judgment on that, and 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 and, and the vanity plate uh, on the state flag. Just remember it, that's that's that has the confederate that uh, uh, dominated by the Confederate battle emblem. Right, right, right. Um, the, 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 so let's do this. Let's get to our first break of the show. Uh, there's a lot more I'd love to talk about before we move on to other subjects. Among the, the things that I think are important is what has happened in Georgia since the death of Ahmad Arbery that uh, may give people hope that we are uh, uh, moving into new days in this state. We'll do all that more with our panel after we pause for these messages. <laughs> Welcome back to Political Rewind. Stanley Dunlap, reporter for the Georgia Recorder. Margaret Coker, editor-in-chief of The Current, who's down there in Brunswick uh, for the start of the trial. Adam Van Brimmer, the interim executive editor and editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News. And Jim Galloway, former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um, Adam, um, our Riley Bunch our GPB is down in Brunswick and has been there over the weekend reporting on various activities on, that have gone on over the weekend. And Margaret, I'm going to ask about you about that in just a couple minutes. But uh, among the people that um, Riley interviewed, one was uh, Ahmad Arbery's uh, aunt, uh, Theowanza Brooks. And um, I want to play a little bit of what she had to say to Riley um, about what's happened since uh, the death of her nephew. With everything that has happened, even though it was tragic, the way he died, so much has changed. And there's still so much more to be changed. But as long as we organize, strategize, and work together, we can continue to make change so it's safe for everybody to walk the streets, to run the streets, to just be a part of a community. Because what we want is to be treated equally. We want to be loved just like everybody else is loved. We just want to be treated the same as everybody else. That's all we're asking for. Adam, uh, the state legislature moved on in two important ways uh, in the aftermath of the Ahmad Arbery uh, uh, murder, didn't they? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, they repealed or replaced, however you want to categorize it, the citizen's arrest law, which was 
that bill was was forwarded by one of our own legislators here in Savannah, Carl Gilliard, who's a, a Democrat in the Georgia House, and uh, you know, coupled Arbery coupled with what happened in Louisville, what happened in Minneapolis. We we had that social justice reckoning, so to speak, last year, and it it seems to have really it's resonated. It hasn't faded. <laughs> Of course, we've seen these over the years that it's, it's it's on fire for a little bit, then it kind of gradually fades away, and that's not happened this year. And I think that that that's a really that's a really obviously it's a very good thing for for us in general. But uh, I also think that the legislature and some local governments have some other things that they can do. I, I think you're going to see the and and Jim, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. That the stand your ground, of course, was talked about. Uh, having an overhaul of that law last year, it didn't ultimately get any traction. And um, <laughs> I hate to to, to mix to mix um, laws here, but at the same time, we also had the voting reform law, which of course shows some 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 call it voter suppression and, and targeting the African American community in the state. So, legislature has a long way to go. They they made some good first steps. I think what you heard from from Arbery's aunt really it summarizes pretty well how black Georgians are feeling today. But like anything else, it has to, it has to build on itself. It has to have some momentum to, to really create a lasting change. Jim, as old timers who covered the Capitol, um, we, w- we watched over the years when hate crimes legislation could not pass, could not get the momentum that was necessary to uh, uh, finally enact a hate crimes law. And yet we now have one and certainly the Arbery case played into that in an important way. Yeah, uh, uh, back to back to Margaret's tale of the, of the video. Uh, uh, one thing you have to remember is this created quite a moment on the Republican side. Uh, Brian Kemp immediately condemned uh, what what, it, what was, had gone on in in, in Brunswick. Uh, Donald Trump declared that he he was disturbed by the incident, uh, and uh, and of course Chris Carr. Uh, was the one who 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 pushed uh, pushed for pushed for for the prosecution. He's the one who who handed it to the Cobb County DA, who was at that time a Republican. She's been replaced now by a, by a Democrat. So so it it, it kind of it it, it brought out uh, something had, that had been missing on 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 the Republican side. Now the question is, how long will that how long uh, will uh, will that last? You know, we are moving into an election season, and 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 to Adam's point, uh, uh, we're going to see a lot of uh, pro-Trump legislation come out of the legislature, and 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 you have to wonder how much impact the trial itself is going to have. Stanley, yeah, and also want to point out another what's on everyone's mind is the trial with it starting and how this will play out, but. There's also a federal trial that's going to be taking place where the three defendants will also be facing murder charges that could face life in prison. And that process plays out differently than what your standard um, local district or district attorney's trial that will, will, that will be taking place now. And so no matter what happens with this trial, that trial, they still are not, even if they get off for some reason, they still could be found guilty um, in federal court. Margaret? So race is the issue that we're all talking about 
um, in this trial. And I should point out that uh, the, the defendants in the trial say this is never about race and their clients are not racist. So as a journalist who spent a lot of time here over the last uh, 18 months and who, who's been here now all weekend long, you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable to see that there's not a single person that I've been able to find who wants to go on the record and defend publicly what the McMichaels and Brian um, are accused of doing. Um, in their neighborhood, in Satilla Shores, there's not anyone um, of their neighbors who wants to stand up and say, give these guys a break. Um, they're all good fellows. Um, their lawyers are the ones fighting this fight in public, and the lawyers are saying as well that the jury pool has been tainted because all that anyone here in the county and the state have heard of is racial motivations and racial bias. So, you know, in this hyperpartisan world that we live in now in America, there's not, um, as far as I'm aware, there's not a uh, Republican or right-wing PAC that has come in defense of, of the suspects. There's not money that's flowing in here. Um, you know, the, the, three, the three suspects have local lawyers who are doing their best to give their defendants a fair trial. But the, um, it's pretty remarkable in a divided America how one-sided the public reaction is to what we know of the evidence that will be presented in the case has been so far. Um, Margaret, let's stick with you for a minute here, because you did spend, I think, um, along with our reporter, Riley Bunch, you've been down there uh, for the last few days. And um, one of the things that was fascinating to me was the way that Glynn County uh, police are trying to talk to the community. You've got civil rights leaders obviously converging on the area to uh, talk about racial justice, social justice. Um, the I think it, it was in one of your stories that you pointed out uh, that Captain, I think it's J Jeremiah Bergquist is a captain with the Glynn County Police Department. And um, he told people in the community that uh, the officers down there have undertaken special training and that their role is going to be public safety as opposed to uh, law enforcement. In other words, we're there to allow people to demonstrate uh, 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 productively in a positive way, we are not there to crack down on the right of free speech. So what, is, what do you see as the atmosphere that's developing around the event and what we're likely to see happening outside of the trial itself? Yeah, there's a there's been growing anxiety in Glen County, um, you know, building since the summer. And part of that is how um, how embarrassed county leaders are that that their county has become a byword for America's racial reckoning. Uh, you know, there are well-meaning people here who who believe in their hearts sincerely that they're that um, that is a false uh, description of, of their homes. And there's been a full court press from the Chamber of Commerce, the, um, the county commissioners, and this new uh, United Law Enforcement command structure that's been set up to, um, to give a, a single message, which is that Glen County is united in seeking justice and accountability, that uh, neighbors look out for each other, and that, um, and that racism has no place here. So the unified command has been um, has been holding town hall meetings with various groups last week. And the message that they've sent also is, is quite concise. They say that anyone who wants to peacefully demonstrate and express their First Amendment rights um, will have the ability to do so, and they want to facilitate that. 
um, that hasn't alleviated a lot of anxiety among the greater community, though. You know, people want to know, is it safe for my kids to go to school? You know, one of the two county high schools, the private Glen Academy is just a couple blocks from the courthouse. Should a 16-year-old be able to drive to school every day while this trial is going on? Will there be a lot of outsiders who come here and make Brunswick a platform for whatever um, whatever uh, um, policy that they're interested in? Will Brunswick become the next Charlottesville or Portland or Minneapolis? And so far, quite frankly, over the weekend, as the rallies have started, um, I don't see a big, a big presence of outsiders here. There are about 100 people each day who have gathered at the courthouse for prayer rallies and vigils, and they are largely, um, you know, members of, of church congregations that the Arbery family uh, attends. They are people who um, live here, and there aren't groups of thugs and outsiders that are gathering so far in Brunswick and Glen County, which I think is what many people around the county are afraid might happen. Um, so Stanley, one of the people who, uh, uh, was interviewed by Margaret for one of her stories, by the way, you can read Margaret's stories at the current GA.org and, and Sam Burmistaz, we can put up links to those stories because they really are, are, uh, really excellent pieces on what's happening down there. Um, uh, Stanley, Margaret interviewed, uh, Sandra Jackson. She's got a 23 year old son who she says is going to want to go out and demonstrate. Uh, she, uh, Sandra Jackson told Margaret emotions have been high in her community. The trial has become a symbol not just for justice for Arbery, but the wider black community because so many have personal experiences with perceived racism. So Sandra Jackson told Margaret, I would never tell my son not to go. He wouldn't listen to me anyway. But I haven't decided if I want to march. I don't know if I trust how the police are going to deal with us. The point of all that being that this trial will play will really, really uh, help us understand what relations are between the black community and the and, the, and law enforcement in Brunswick uh, in that very specific way. In addition, of course, to the larger questions about the role race plays in all of this. Yeah, definitely. It's a referendum on police um, and how they. Uh, their relationship with the community and particularly the black community. And uh, we'll see one will, will be a play a big role as of course, how the demonstrations play out. And I think we'll start to see maybe once the trial begins and it gets closer to a verdict, we will probably see more people come out, potentially more um, outsiders, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think the biggest concern is you mentioned the unified command, which is essentially a lot of the law enforcement first responders that spoke with the spokesman for them and there were about a hundred people from uh, firefighters, police officers, administrators, and others gathered last week meeting to kind of develop their plans to try to keep peaceful demonstrations. But I think the biggest concern isn't necessarily maybe some of the demonstrations or uh, that may take place during the trial is potentially what could happen after the verdict and if there's a not guilty verdict where people really see that there's injustice and that will in turn kind of the emotions that are already high will make it potentially boil over for some people. And so I think that when you could, if that happens, then you could see what the police reaction is and, and things may continue to play out how many people feel, and particularly in the black community, that justice isn't there for them and the police aren't there to protect them. And that's one of the particular concern, depending on the outcome of the trial. Adam? Yeah, and I, yeah, and I I want to 
speak to that a little bit is the law enforcement and the unified command are really going to be, we're going to have to watch them really, really closely because there was a motion issued by the judge last week that pretty much gives law enforcement authorization to, to control everything in and around. So not only in the courthouse, but outside the courthouse, there was some concern and, uh, in, in the Savannah morning news and, and USA Today Network has, has filed some motions to to try to address some of the, the things they put out there in terms of the public, in terms of the media. I, I know this morning it has not – we feared the worst. We haven't seen it this morning. There was talk that if a reporter was was outside the, the designated reporter area, like on the steps of the courthouse and using their cell phone, that their cell phone could be confiscated. So it, it's really they, – they are taking the steps, at least ostensibly <laughs> – to, in the name of public safety or, or security, but it, it, it is a dangerous, it's a slippery slope in terms of uh, public property and transparency, which I think is absolutely key with this trial, as it needs to be as, as transparent as possible. And, you know, we, we know we have COVID, we know we need to social distance, we know the facility is small, it's tight, you gotta, you gotta limit how many people are in, a, in the courtroom. Obviously, the family. The family of the defendants and the family of Armand Arbery have preference, have priority for seating in the courtroom. They also have priority and preference for seating in the overflow room where the live stream is going to be. So when this trial starts, it's not unreasonable to think that there's not going to be any journalists or any other member of the public that's not related to the to the families aren't going to be in the courthouse at all. And that's kind of a that's kind of a scary thought. And I think it's something that needs to be addressed. And before I let it go, I. I I encourage everybody to read Margaret's stuff, but also go to savannahnow.com because we're doing full team coverage of this trial. <laughs> of course you are. Thank you for that, Adam. Yeah, uh, Jim? Yeah, let's build on what Adam was saying. And and and, and I've got a, another question for, for Margaret. Uh, it, we've already been through one nationally riveting uh, criminal trial with the, with, with the Derek Chauvin case and the, and the murder of, of George Floyd. And, and 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 a lot of the stuff that that Adam was talking about was has been shown there. I think there was just one one, TV, one pool camera, and and an otherwise empty courtroom. I'm wondering if has have have Glen County court officials or or government officials been in contact with 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 people in Minnesota, uh, for for kind of uh, suggestions on 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 how to pull off uh, a very sensitive. Uh, uh, trial like this it just seems to me that there the the the, the model up there in minnesota uh was was there for the asking jim i don't know the answer to that question i can tell you that judge walmsley who is overseeing the trial is um is setting the tone and setting the rules and uh he is from the savannah judicial circuit so it's it's um it's a melange of teams um, that that are interacting here on the ground. Of course, the logistical um, and administrative teams are here in the Glen County Courthouse, but but it is Judge Walmsley who's who's putting um, putting all those rules down. I don't think that um, from there, you know, Judge Walmsley has a reputation of of being you know in the old hackneyed phrase sober as a judge. He does not um, allow grandstanding. He does not like um, showboating lawyers. And so the idea of media invading his courtroom, I think, was never going to happen, regardless of how many different outside opinions he sought um, from, from different jurisdictions. 
but uh, the court TV um, will be live streaming proceedings. And I think that the, from the point of view of judicial officials here in coastal Georgia, that should be enough um, to, to allow the public their right to see um, the, the proceedings inside, but also have a civilized um, proceeding inside the courtroom where people cannot um, be disruptive and justice can, can be served fairly and, um, and I think in a, in a safe manner. Um, one last question. we got to get to a break, but Margaret, um, maybe you can help us on one aspect of this, or Adam, you may know this. Um, we, we know that uh, court starts today. Um, is, does jury selection start immediately? Does the court have motions in front of it before they get to jury selection? Do we know what the schedule looks like this morning, Margaret or, Margaret or Adam, one of you know? Go ahead, Margaret. No. Uh, I, I I don't know I don't know when Wamsley is going to rule on the proceedings that are I'm sorry on the motions that are still um, still in front of him. I do know that um, all the people that have been um, brought in today um, for jury selection are are expecting to start being questioned today or tomorrow. Okay, okay, uh, Adam, is, real quick. Uh, Bill, it, it is my understanding he will rule on the motions today, and that they will start reviewing jurors. Uh, this afternoon. But again, that's, that's okay. just my understanding. Okay. Um, we got to get to a break. We wanted to devote as much time as possible today to this trial because, it, as we've all said, it, one of the most important trials in this country in a very long time. And we will continue to follow it in the days and weeks ahead as we uh, turn to political news, uh, which is really our basic mandate here on Political Rewind, but anybody who doesn't think there's politics in this hasn't been listening to the show so far this morning. So uh, we'll get to our final break. We'll come back, and we do have a couple political stories I want to talk to the panel about in just a moment. Jim Galloway, with a couple minutes we have left, a couple of stories about the election next year. We spent an awful lot of time last week, all the media did, talking about Herschel Walker's ability to raise $3.7 million in the five weeks since he announced he was running for the United States Senate. But we have a different story uh, in the news today. Raphael Warnock's team reported their earnings for the last uh, uh, three-month reporting period. And during that time, they've raised $9.5 million, set a record from 145,000 donors, all of which just reminds us this race is going to be one of the most expensive in the country and certainly one of the most important races of next year's election cycle, Jim. Yeah, a couple things here. Number one, uh, number one is it, it does show you that I mean, uh, Raphael Warnock's seat is is crucial if 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 the Democrat if Democrats have any hope of main, maintaining control of the uh, the chamber next year. Uh, but it also points to something, something of uh, a, a, a really significant shift in 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 American politics. Uh, black candidates historically have not been able to raise a lot of money. Uh, yeah. But but yes, you have Herschel Walker uh, raising three million in the period. 
Warnock raising nine million. Tim Scott has has raised similar numbers. Uh, the the senator out of, uh, out of out of South Carolina. So it's it's it's, it's Val Demings raised eight point five million in Florida for her raise. Right, right. So so it is. It's it's uh, we're 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 kind of. I think we we may be turning a, a very particular corner in American politics. Um, speaking of black political leaders, Adam, and the other story I want to touch on closely, and by the way, Jim, I don't mean to rush past that, except that we are short on time, and that's a subject we want to explore in more depth, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, way in which black candidates are becoming even more important in the political process right now. But the other quick story I wanted to mention, Adam, is that we still have no idea when Stacey Abrams may announce her intentions about running for governor, but... She's been up in Virginia, where she's considered one of the real heavyweights uh, working to support the uh, election of of, uh, Terry McAuliffe, who's trying to win back uh, the uh, governorship up there. So Stacey Abrams continues to be an incredibly important national figure in Democratic Party politics, uh, spending more of her time out of the state than here in Georgia these days, Adam. Yes, she is. But uh, I think I heard it on your show last week and the week before is unlike the last time she ran for governor, she does no longer has the brand awareness problem or the brand awareness uh, needs <laughs> that she had that she had back then. And, and qualifying, I believe, is March of next year. So we've got we've got a little bit of time before we have to get ready for the primary. I think the only yeah, I think the only thing is, is let's just say for a minute that she's not running is, is she is kind of handicapping everybody else that may run in her place. But I would think that if she's not running, she would have let that be known, at least in the party infrastructure, to to encourage some of the candidates to get out there and and start pushing their platform. We are uh, completely out of time uh, for today's show, Um, but I I do have enough time to uh, go back to the Arbery trial for just a moment um, and, and point out that all the panelists on today's show will be reporting on what's happening down there. You'll get a diversity of uh, thinking um, from their news organizations. Margaret Coker, as I mentioned before, you're down there yourself reporting on the trial uh, for The Current. Um, Stanley Dunlap, the Georgia recorder, you said you're moving into an editorial meeting in a couple minutes to talk about how you're going to be covering it, but certainly the Georgia recorder will cover. And by the way, we have a partnership with the Georgia recorder. So much of your reporting, Stanley, uh, people can read at the GPB News website as well. Adam Van Brimmer, obviously this is an incredibly important trial for you down in Savannah. So uh, Savannah now will be a good place for people to read about it. And Jim Galloway, you and I sit back and get to talk to other people on our show about how they're handling big, big stories like this one. It's the luxury that comes with being older people, Jim. Right, right. We can't, we can't, we can't run as fast anymore. So we, other people have to do the heavy lifting. Uh, well, that's it. Thank you all for a really terrific conversation today. Um, we're completely out of time, so I will see you back here tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nigat. Take care. Stay healthy. Please continue to wear your mask when you're indoors or around an awful lot of people. Go get your flu shot. It's a good time to get it done. Thanks for being with us. See you all tomorrow.